Okay. Welcome to the Nuclear Information Resource Service quarterly telebriefing. Tonight's briefing is on preventing new nuclear dumps, voices from Texas and New Mexico, and all along the routes to and from Texas and New Mexico. Our speakers are Leona Morgan, co-founder of Diné, No Nukes, and also of the Albuquerque-based Nuclear Issues Study Group. Leona has been working on uranium mining issues, radiation detection, and the whole nuclear fuel chain for many years. She will give us an idea of what uh, is targeted for New Mexico and Texas now in early 2018, uh, specifically the Lee Eddy County Lee Eddy Energy Alliance Holtec Nuclear Waste Dump for high-level waste uh, application, which was just uh, declared complete by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Our next speaker after Leona will be Rose Gardner, who is uh, a co-founder of APHIS, Alliance for Environmental Strategies. Rose is also a longtime member of uh, the Sierra Club and the Nuclear Information Resource Service, and she worked to prevent the LES Urenco, um, um, uranium enrichment facility uh, in Eunice, New Mexico, and the waste control specialist so-called low-level radioactive waste dump, which has nuclear power and weapons waste. Uh, she um, is now working on the uh, threats of bringing high-level waste to that site and to the Lee Eddy County Holtec proposed dump. Our final speaker is Dr. Marvin Resnikoff, PhD nuclear physicist, originally from New York, now based in Vermont. He's one of the world's experts on nuclear waste transportation, uh, containers, regulations, and the dangers involved. He is the principal at Radioactive Waste Management Associates and has provided uh, expert technical support and guidance to many state and local governments, uh, to individuals uh, affected by radioactive materials, and to public interest organizations. Thank you to our three speakers, and thank you to uh, all who have called in for taking the time to join us tonight. Tonight's uh, briefing, as I said, is on high-level radioactive waste and the proposed uh, dumps and tar that are targeted in Texas, New Mexico, and the, the thousands of shipments that that would mean on our roads and rails. Uh, as a brief background, uh, the, the waste that we are talking about tonight is from nuclear power. It is the irradiated fuel, sometimes called spent fuel, the hottest part of the whole nuclear power and weapons fuel chain. It is building up. It is created with every watt of electricity at nuclear reactors across the country, and there is no permanent way to isolate it for the many thousands and millions of years that it literally remains dangerous. So uh, the nuclear establishment, the government, is now trying to revive the uh, previously canceled high-level at Yucca Mountain on western Shoshone uh, land in Nevada, and is also toying with making it legal to have these supposedly interim dumps that are now targeted at New Mexico and Texas. Um, but other places have been targeted in the past and probably will be in the future, and these are um, de facto permanent sites. So the 
Um, focus tonight is on high-level nuclear waste and what we're going to do with it. And uh, I will uh, give you a little bit of here instructions on um, what the, the folks who have called in. Um, you will, after the speakers give their presentations, uh, you will be able to signal that you want to ask a question or make a short statement. And let's see. Yes, uh, to ask a question, you'll push star six. And then when prompted, you'll press one to be added to the queue. When it's your turn, you'll be notified that you are unmuted and you can make your statement, short statement, or ask your question. And because of the large number of participants, um, we ask that you make the questions concise as possible and refrain from making long statements. And uh, just for those who have not joined Nuclear Information and Resource Service in the past, we're a national nonprofit organization working to replace uh, nuclear energy with safe renewable uh, energy and to work to isolate the radioactive waste that is generated from the fuel chain from the environment for as long as it's hazardous. We will begin our presentations and uh, keep your questions, uh, track your questions uh, for after the presentations have been completed. So we'll begin with uh, Leona Morgan, uh, Deneno Nukes, and uh, Nuclear Issues Study Group based in Albuquerque on uh, the impacts of this, uh, an overview of what we're uh, challenged with right now. Thanks, Diane. Uh, so tonight we're going to talk a lot about a site called Holtec International, and we'll probably hear a lot about other sites from Rose. One, one site that is very similar is the Waste Control Specialists. Uh, this is a site in, the, in Texas, right across the New Mexico state line. Our organization, Nuclear Issues Study Group, we're based in Albuquerque, which is not a local group. And Rose will talk about the local issues. But as a state, for ourselves, as a state-focused organization, we look at the entire nuclear fuel chain, like Diane said. Um, we also focus on uranium mining, weapons production, and other nuclear waste here in Albuquerque. Um, so this um, issue of this, these two sites, they're um, called centralized or consolidated interim storage. Uh, we call them CIS for short. And we're very concerned about the Holtec site because it is in New Mexico and it's located in the southeast, about halfway between Carlsbad and Hobbs. The southeast is a pretty rural area. And this site is 16 miles north of Whip as the crow flies. And WIP is a, a, a different waste site. The Waste Isolation Pilot Project stores transuranic waste, which is completely different. So the Holtec site, it's, it's a brand new uh, proposal to build a facility that would hold all of the nation's waste from nuclear power plants. And so, like Diane was saying, uh, the spent fuel or irradiated fuel, we also call it high-level radioactive waste. Uh, this is the most dangerous, and our concerns about storing it in New Mexico are not just about 
the location, but the transport issues across the nation, which Marvin will talk about later. The Holtec site is um, it's, it's, it's in its application process where um, Diane mentioned the NRC just announced their application is complete. Holtec International is working with a company called Eddie Lee Energy Alliance, and they are applying to build a facility that would hold 100,000 metric tons of this high-level irradiated waste, and that could possibly be expanded to 120 metric tons for 120 years. And they, they call these sites interim, but we're very concerned if, if the waste is moved here that these could potentially become permanent sites. Um, the Holtec site is, is, is uh, proposed to hold all the waste that exists now, which is about 80,000 tons, and all the waste that would be created by the existing power plants. The Waste Control Specialist site is also applying to hold waste, and their facility could store as much as five metric tons to begin with and expand um, beyond that after if, if they are licensed. Um, just a side note about Waste Control Specialists, their application process was on hold. Um, and, and right now, that was due to financial issues they had last year, but is, is currently um, could, could start being processed again. And so what we're really concerned about is the, the Holtec site, because last week uh, the NRC declared this application complete, which means it's moving forward in the process. And we're expecting soon that the NRC will publish in the, in the Federal Registrar in upcoming public comment period, as well as hearings that we're expecting to be in Carlsbad and Hobbs. Uh, right now, we are looking at a, there's a temporary stall in the process because during the 2018 New Mexico legislative session, several legislators were very concerned about these sites, and they specifically wrote to the NRC about the whole tech site. And it was um, on the House side in New Mexico, 21 representatives sent letters to NRC asking them to, to slow down until we have more time to review the impacts to the environment um, from, and the transport from, from this whole tech site. On the Senate side, we had nine senators write a similar letter to NRC. And so um, this is uh, a little bit unique because now the NRC is having to, to deal with these how, how do they respond to the legislators? Um, and a little bit of information about the type of storage. Um, these, both of these sites, we call them CIS, um, particularly for the, 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 whole, the whole tech site. They are planning to store their waste in, in canisters where they, they would have two canisters um, stacked on top of each other and the canisters would be below the ground, but the tops of these would be exposed above ground. And these canisters have uh, very thin walls, um, less than an inch thick, and there's a potential for issues um, such as cracks or, or leaks, which would uh, lead to exposures to the environment. And these canisters are built by the same company, uh, Holtec, 
right now um, their the design includes several uh, concerns there's there's some flaws in the designs where there's no way to monitor inside the canisters or outside the canisters if they start to crack and we're also concerned about issues with um, if there if there are cracks or these canisters start to um, get corroded um, and damaged that we are not aware of any repackaging facility within the application um, at the moment. And so these are some of the issues and the concerns with the, the canisters and um, a little bit of information about both of the, the sites, what they're proposing for. I think I will wrap it up there. And I know I mentioned WIP earlier. Um, a lot of people think when we start talking about nuclear, nuclear waste in New Mexico that these, these, um, these, these types of waste are going to WIP, but they're not. It's completely different. And in that area, it has already been heavily impacted by not just the nuclear industry, but oil and gas production as well. And so I think um, Rose will talk a little bit about some of the um, – all of the interrelated uh, impacts from the, the cumulative effect from the different sites in the southeast, which include not just WIP and the CIS, uh, CIS proposals, but Urenco's um, enrichment facility and um, WCS's existing low-level waste storage. So I'll just wrap it up there and um, be available for discussion later. Thank you. Thank you, Leona. Um, and actually, I don't know if I muted myself. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Yes. Okay. Um, so our next uh, presentation will be from Rose Gardner, uh, Allied for Environmental Strategies, Alliance for Environmental Strategies, uh, to give us a perspective of what it feels like to be in a community that has already tried to uh, fend off two major nuclear facilities in the past and is now targeted with two more, these now for high-level radioactive waste. Go ahead, uh, yeah. Rose. Thank you so much for joining. Okay. Thanks so much, too, Diane and Leona. Uh, yeah, I live here in Eunice, New Mexico. Um, I'm a lifelong resident. I'll be 60 years old this year. And so I initially got involved in fighting uh, the nuclear power industry in, in when I uh, joined the fight against Urenco, they came into town and uh, sold their plan. Uh, Senator Domenici uh, from New Mexico brought his story into town to the counselors and they bought it. Yes, they adopted a resolution to welcome uh, Louisiana Energy Services. That's how they came in, as a, an American name. And then later they changed their name to the National Enrichment Facility. And then now, of course, they've gone to uh, what their parent company is, Urenco. Um, and what they do is enrich uh, uranium for nuclear fuel. Uh, then uh, just across the state line, which is literally just a few yards is waste control specialist as Leona mentioned and they initially came into town uh, in the 90s saying hey we need to open a dump and they didn't call it a dump but they called it a facility to house hazardous waste 
and, and since then they've had numerous amendments made to their application to where now they do hazardous waste, uh, nuclear waste, uh, class A, B, and C, and other uh, federal waste from Fernald. We've got all kinds of waste sitting right outside of my town. And Urenco is, of course, enriching uh, the uranium, causing their own waste stream. They now have uh, canisters of depleted uranium sitting on site. And according to uh, the uh, powers that be, they can have that waste there for 25 years. So it's already started here. And now they want to increase uh, the, the nuclear waste field here to include high-level waste, this irradiated waste from uh, these nuclear power plants. They want to get rid of their waste and send it over here to me and to my community. Hobbs and Carlsbad are just a little bit uh, of a distance away. If they were to build the whole tech site, it would be only 35 miles from where I live and situated in between two thriving communities, Hobbs, New Mexico, and Carlsbad, New Mexico. And it just so happens that the mayors of both of these communities and former mayors, uh, uh, John Heaton of Carlsbad, former mayor, uh, Sam Cobb from Hobbs uh, is the present mayor, and they're working furiously to uh, have Ely, their company, get Holtec, to build this site. So uh, then we, uh, Leona talked about uh, the WIP site, which is a deep geological repository for defense waste. The, the DOE uh, set this up and they're uh, trying to store Cold War nuclear waste. So we've got a situation down here. Um, and if the Holtec site goes through, Eventually, their, their goal is to store all the waste from all the commissioned power plants and any new waste created for the next whatever many years. And then I noticed on their website today as I was scrolling through there, they actually plan to clean some industrial non-potable waters that are created by the oil and gas industry, which is very heavy in that area and in the, this lower uh, New Mexico area, and make it into potable water using the heat that's generated by of the, the full tonnage. In other words, the facility's full and creating so much heat that they can distill this non-potable water and make it potable. Doesn't that sound healthy? So anyway, uh, they've got all these plans uh, to make this area rich. The revenues and the jobs that are supposed to be created by Holtec are supposed to be just uh, so wonderful. But yet we've got so many factors that can make it dangerous. We have brought up the transportation issue. Let me just give you a little uh, information about what happened here uh, recently. There's a railroad trestle uh, that was made out of wood, and uh, it runs up and down Highway 18 in Lee County, New Mexico. And four characters, I don't know who they were, they actually uh, lit a fire, and that trestle burned. 
and they had to repair it. They had to replace it. It took a, a, a few days to do that, but they did replace it and fix it. If regular uh, people can go up to a railroad and damage it, what if there's nuclear waste traveling down that rail? There was a, a derailment just south of here, south of Eunice, in, in between Jow and Eunice, about halfway. And uh, it was uh, rail cars carrying sand. Somehow or another, they managed to derail, and they were laying over on their side. This happened in 2015, and I do have pictures of, of that uh, derailment. So uh, not even the site, the sites aren't even here yet. And I see all kinds of problems just happening here close to my home. Can you imagine if that waste travels down our rails through Dallas-Fort Worth or San Antonio or across Phoenix or in, you know, any populated, huge populated areas? I cannot imagine what kind of uh, damage or even, even if it was a derailment they would have to, like, you know, evacuate populations of people so they could safely put that thing back on the tracks and keep it moving. Rose? Have we had a disconnect here? I think we lost Rose, but I can... Hello? Oh, there she is. Can anyone hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, we Hello? can hear you, Rose. Okay. Yes, we so, can hear you. I'm oh, sorry. I don't know what happened. Anyway, uh, I'm just saying that if, if anything happens on the rails, uh, getting that to a temporary site, it just makes no sense to be moving that across the nation. And just imagine... Uh, all the waste in one place is unimaginable to me, but that is the plan, and I strongly oppose it, and I think it's a very bad idea. And um, at this point, I just think that, you know, we need to work together to see if there's a better way to get a permanent repository. Let's get this site, the sites that do have uh, the, the waste there, let's get them hardened. In other words, get them protected from terrorist attack until a permanent repository is created and we get that waste into its permanent grave. Uh, with that, I'd like to just go ahead and pass it on to Marvin and go ahead and tell them what's going on with transportation. Thank you, Rose. Um, Yes, Dr. Resnikoff, if you could uh, please proceed with information about nuclear waste transport. I'm here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you didn't mention that I work also for the state of Utah uh, on the storage facility in Utah, Skull Valley. Um, and I've also worked and still do work for the state of Nevada. I, th I should put it in this disclaimer. Um, I'm going to talk about 
what is in these containers, these casks that are moving. Uh, I'm going to talk about the containers themselves. I'm going to talk about the rail conditions, and I'm going to talk about what this application does not have in it. Um, first of all, I, I've in looking at what's in the cask, I once did calculations uh, which looked into how much cesium was in a cask. Cesium is a semi-volatile material. Uh, when it gets hot, it volatilizes. And uh, it has a direct gamma emission. Actually, its decay product has a direct gamma emission. So it's extremely important to consider. Um, when I originally looked at this, the, the fuel that was used in reactors was not very um, hot compared to what it is nowadays. But still, when I looked at it, the amount of cesium that was in a fuel assembly, one fuel assembly, and a standard reactor might uh, release 30 or 40 of these fuel assemblies per year, uh, the amount of cesium in one fuel assembly was about 10 times the amount released by the Hiroshima bomb. More recently, the fuel has gotten much hotter. It's remained in the reactor longer, uh, and the amount of cesium in each of these fuel assemblies is twice as great as it was in the past. And not only that, the... Um, casts themselves uh, hold many more fuel assemblies. When I first looked at it, the casts were holding 20 or 21 or 24 fuel assemblies. And as Holtec plans it, those casts will now contain 37 fuel assemblies. So now we're talking about a cast that could contain over 700 times the amount of cesium released by the Hiroshima bomb. Now, I'm not saying that the cask is going to explode like a bomb, but what I am saying is it's extremely toxic material. There's a, a tremendous amount in each cask, and one doesn't have to have a serious accident to have just one just has to have a small amount of that inventory released to have a serious accident. Um, what also concerns me is the <clears throat> excuse me what also concerns me is the construction and uh, and the time that fuel remains in the reactor itself the actual uh, tubes in this in these fuel assemblies which contain the nuclear fuel have become thinner over time and more brittle. And so shipping it by rail means the cladding is going to be subject to vibrations. And uh, there's a concern that the cladding may shatter as the fuel is shipped across the country. And we're talking now about on the order of 10,000 shipments. Like it, you can consider it like a material coming from California. Uh, and mainly fuel coming from the East Coast will come into uh, New Mexico. And it'll be like streams feeding into a, 
a, a river, uh, there'll be so many local shipments on the order of 10,000 or so. We're concerned about potential accidents. Um, these containers are designed to withstand a 30-mile-an-hour crash into in some immovable object. And the industry argues that nothing in nature is immovable, and so your 30-mile-an-hour crash into an immovable object can be a 90-mile-an-hour really collision. And this is an issue really that concerns the shipping routes themselves. You know, are, are casts going over bridges? Uh, are there head-on head collisions with other trains? Uh, there are numerous types of accidents that one could consider. Uh, these casts also are designed to withstand fires, uh, but the type of fire is a fire that is similar to a house fire. 1,475 degrees for 30 minutes. That's the regulation by the NRC. Um, but some real fires that have burned uh, recently have burned for much longer than a half an hour. Some have burned for 24 hours. Uh, for instance, there was an accident in Quebec which actually burned down half the town and lasted for 24 hours. Um, so we're concerned about that, having a major uh, accident involving uh, shipments and tank cars on the same rail. Um, and there are many more tank cars moving on rails because there are no pipelines that take the oil from uh, the, the back in the oil fields in North Dakota and actually transport it to either coast. You have to do that by train. So we're concerned about that, that they are traveling along the same lines. We're also concerned that these computers have not, these, these, excuse me, casts have not been actually physically tested. The casts that are presently in use or that will be in use should actually be physically tested. They've only been computer tested, and they really should be physically tested for real-life accident conditions. Um, finally, I want to say one word about the application. Now, I've looked at the application, uh, and I've looked at many of these applications since I've worked on transportation since 1975. See, uh, Rose, you're a spring chicken in comparison. <laughs> um, the the Whole tech safety analysis reports are, when you get to the important sections, are considered proprietary. They're essentially blacked out. And so it is impossible to actually reproduce uh, their results. And it will be impossible to actually draft contentions for a hearing with, uh, within the Nuclear Regulatory Commission I mean, it's like a voodoo safety analysis report. It'll be a voodoo proceeding. Uh, and it's essentially impossible for the public to make sense of what is happening. Um, well, as an example, the boundary of the storage facility has to be at least 300 meters, you know, three football fields away. 
in order to get a fence post dose of 100 milligrams a year, which is the regulatory limit. And it's impossible in looking at their uh, safety analysis report to actually verify that number. So the whole proceeding is sort of going undercover. The public would like to know whether they're really being protected by the regulators and being protected by Holtec. But essentially the regulators are saying, just trust us. Uh, you don't have to look over our shoulder. Well, that's what I want to say. Okay. Um, and uh, actually, Marvin, could you perhaps um, tell us about the, uh, the, the submersion, submersion test, like if a cask fell into a body of water, um, how long it's required to be able to withstand that and the likelihood of getting it up out of the water, that kind of thing? Well, I, I think for New Mexico, I'm more concerned about fires and, okay. and, cra and crashes. Um, mm -hmm. Because fires, real-life fires, diesel fires, for instance, burn at 1,850 degrees Fahrenheit. And they can, they can go on for 24 hours. But the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has... A regulation that says no it can just be a house fire for 30 minutes and that's sufficient uh, so they're not designed to standards that would meet real-life accident conditions okay um, all right so now we'll move into thank you very much to all three of our presenters and we now have the opportunity for those who have called in to uh, to ask questions, uh, the way to do this is to dial uh, to press star six, and then, as I understand it, you will receive a prompt, and you press one to be added to the queue for the question. Diane, this is Leona. While we're waiting, can we can I add a couple more things I forgot to mention? Yeah, go right ahead. Um, so um, thanks. Uh, the uh, the issue with the transport, um, we're definitely concerned about crashes, like Marvin mentioned. Uh, as a Dinette person, um, I'm from the Navajo Nation, and we, we look at this as a form of environmental racism. This is uh, something that our communities have already dealt with in the uranium um, during the uranium boom, we've had a lot of contamination, and so our tribe actually has a law against transport of radioactive materials through our, our reservation. However, our Navajo Nation law that, that prohibits transport of radioactive materials is superseded by the federal government. And so we do not have uh, any authority to, to stop the transport through our, our nation, even though we know it's dangerous and we're concerned about, about the risk of accidents. And one of the studies done by the Department of Energy says that if there was a, an accident, that it could contaminate a huge area. Um, in a rural place, it might contaminate a 42-square-mile area, and the cost to clean up could be 
600, up to $620 million, but in a more um, urban area, the cost could actually go up to $9.5 billion. So I know our nation has a law against transport, but like I said, we're not able to, to, to stop it. And the other, the other thing is we're looking at 10,000 shipments at least, so tens of thousands of shipments, and the rate or the estimate anticipated of an accident would be one train accident per each 10,000 shipments. So there will be accidents, and it's just a matter of where they might occur in the country. In the United States, um, the shipments could be by barge or truck, but in New Mexico, we're looking mostly at rail shipments. And the railroads are not designed to hold the weight of these canisters. So like Rose was saying, we've already seen an accident. There have been several accidents nationally along our rail system. So it's not a matter of if, it's when and where. Okay, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it looks like we um, can go ahead with, Tim, have you done that? Um, you've got someone opened? That's right. Okay. All right. Karen? Hi. Uh, yeah, this is Karen Haddon, and I have a question for, uh, thanks to all of the speakers, and a question for Dr. Reznikov. Um, and Leona was hitting on this just a moment ago, that we've heard that the weight of some of these rail cars loaded would be about 196 tons, and that the rail cars are rated for a maximum of 143 tons, and that means like 38% heavier than um, than should be carried on, on the rail lines. And we also talked to some railroad union workers who pointed out that the tracks in the southeastern part of New Mexico are in very poor condition. And we're concerned, of course, about both sites, Texas and New Mexico, and wondering if you have any comments about that. And we also have heard talk of a new rail car being designed. I don't know if you know anything about that. It seems like it's brand new. Um, well, the cast, the, the, the cast that Holtec wants to ship are heavier than the cast that they formerly wanted to ship. I mean, n not much shipping is taking place now, as you know. The fuel is sitting at reactor sites um, all across the country. Um, but, the, but the proposed cast that they want to ship are much heavier. That's true. And I think they're heavier than what you, what you mentioned. Um, I think they're over 100 tons each. Um, and it, it is true, the more shipments that take place on rail lines uh, with heavy material, uh, the worse the rail lines become. I don't know if you've been to South America and like I have in traveled along some of these rail lines and they are bumpy um, you know carrying a, a ore from one place to another um, so I, I agree with what you're saying that the likelihood of a sh shipment uh, derailing is increasing when you have heavy loads it, it's a particular concern over bridges Thanks. Um, we have a, a caller now. Oh, Rose, did you want to say anything about that? Well, oh, I, um, 
I was just thinking, well, you know, again, these things are happening right here, right now. Just recently saw that some cars uh, fell into the water because they were pushed over by high winds. And I, in another state, of course. You know, those things are pretty big and pretty heavy. And if you really think about it, you've seen those long trains. They travel, travel, and they do. They sway back and forth, back and forth. What if it gets caught up in one of those uh, rail yards where there's hundreds of trains waiting to move, and it sits there? People will be uh, radiated just working around those trains or if it's parked at a uh, if you're parked at a light and the train is sitting there on the tracks which happens here in my town all the time there's only one rail line and one road out of town that way i mean what do you do you're at the mercy of this waste sitting on a rail well if i could just if i could just jump in um, I, I think you're perfectly right that these containers, these casts that they transport actually have gamma that comes out of the cask. Radiation emanates from the cask itself. Uh, there's a limit, you know, of what it can be, though since Holtec won't divulge how these casts are constructed, the actual materials that they use, the number of inches of uh, steel, the number of inches of lead, that's not discussed. That's all blacked out in their uh, safety analysis reports. Uh, wow. But it's still true that radiation is, emanates from these containers, and they emanate. It's just like an x-ray machine that you can't turn off. Um, and... As it moves along the rail, if anyone is sitting next to a, uh, you know, the, the tracks as, as the train goes by, you do get a dose of radiation. We have another question now um, from, I believe, uh, the 708 uh, area code. Yeah, hi, hello. My name is Robert Kolkovac from Park Forest, Illinois. I sorry to interrupt. I was prompted to ask the question earlier to start talking. Uh, my, my question is for Leona. And... Uh, I know that she mentioned earlier that uh, Tornia Stay Morgan close to your microphone. You're, you're, getting, you're fading. Leona mentioned that 20 or more New Mexico state legislators wrote letters to the NRC to express concern, if not opposition, over the storage of radioactive waste in New Mexico. <laughs> Are you aware of this? If, if, uh, if Rose or, or Marvin can... can feel like responding, that's great. If, uh, are you aware of any legislators who have actually voiced opposition to the generation of the nuclear waste or opposition to nuclear power in general, not just storage in their district? Um, yeah, I actually, um, I'm going to uh, just, I wanted to add some to the previous discussion, but to answer your question, um, we have no nuclear reactors in this state. And so there's very little discussion of uh, supporting uh, or, or opposing actual uh, nuclear power generation because we, we don't have a commercial reactor in the state. And that's one of the things that is a huge issue for us is we don't even produce 
electricity from nuclear power. So why are we getting dumped on with all the waste from all the other reactors? Um, in 2017, the legislature actually had a bill to support uh, calling nuclear power renewable. Um, so last year, there were a few representatives who sponsored this bill who are actually in the southeast part of New Mexico. So that, that part of New Mexico is very pro-nuclear. They believe that um, making these facilities will create jobs and, and help our economy. And so some <laughs> folks down there believe that the jobs are worth the benefit, um, regardless of the impact to our environment and, and the health impacts. But um, that bill, it went to committee and it failed. So to me, that speaks loudly that the people who were voting to to decide whether nuclear power could be uh, labeled as a renewable, um, they, they, they didn't let it get out of committee. So that was, it wasn't um, a strong opposition speaking out to the media, but it was uh, strong enough for voters to be happy that once we educated the folks in that committee, they, they didn't let it go through. So there, there isn't any single champion against it. Um, several have spoken to me personally, but I don't think there's any... Um, public media spokesperson from our state to answer your question. But um, I, if I could just add to the, yeah, to, to the previous question about the train stuff, um, I did want to add that um, Karen mentioned uh, some of the concerns and what I learned just recently, I wanted to add this, um, it's really uh, coming from an employee of BNSF. BNSF. They, um, we as the public will have no idea what the actual train routes will be. And so when they transport certain hazardous materials like by, by, by car, I mean by truck, you know, we might get some type of warning. But with the train shipments, there's going to be no pre-warning pre, um, to the public because the train companies decide the actual routes. So we have no idea what routes will be taken until the, the stuff is actually moving. And uh, a person who works with the company um, had said that they don't even know what they're going to be um, shipping. So these train cars, I think we're looking at three cars per train with this waste. And on this type of train um, with hazardous materials, there's only two people on the train, which is the conductor and the engineer. And they basically get um, their orders that they need to move it to the next location, but they themselves are not aware of what's in those cars. So even the employees, they can't, they will be exposed and they can't say, um, you know, I, they can't decline that they, they, they want to move this, um, that they don't want to move this, or they can't decline to go to work because of the risk to their own health. So that was just another, um, on the transportation topic that I wanted to add. Okay, um, now uh, we have um, a caller from the uh, 309 area code. Uh, wait, oh, three, 360, sorry. Hello, that would be me, Carolyn Treadway from Lacey, Washington. And okay. um, I want to ask about the whole tech casks. Uh, five, between five and ten years ago, and I don't remember when, I had the privilege of um, knowing and talking with Oscar Shirani, who was a whistleblower for, for Holtec. And he, was, he, he really gave his life to this cause. He is no longer alive. 
Um, but he was very, very, very concerned about the whole tech tasks, period. And I'm wondering if anything has strengthened and tightened and made the tasks better in the intervening five to ten years because um, they were unsafe sitting stock still, stock still, stock still, according to Oscar. Marvin? Anybody know? Oh, good. Um, it's hard to know is the answer um, because the information is that you really need to know whether uh, how the cask will perform uh, and what will happen in transportation is has been redacted. Uh, you read along, you know, say you want to see uh, the heat buildup in the cask. You know, it's one thing to have the cask sitting on a pad, and these casks sit like, you know, uh, cool air. Com- they they they're cooled like chimneys. You know, cool air comes in and goes up the side of these in- inner canisters that hold the nuclear fuel, and goes out the top much hotter. Uh, and that can be several hundred degrees hotter, much above the boiling point of water. Uh, and the newer containers are, are much hotter yet. They contain much more fuel. Um, they contain fuel which is much hotter uh, than uh, pr- previous canisters. And it's, it's impossible to, to have an answer to that. I've looked into the, these um, safety analysis reports, uh, really getting into the nuts and bolts of and trying to reproduce the kind of the calculations that uh, Holtec has done, but they don't even provide the the materials, the thicknesses of steel, of lead, of uh, neutron absorbing material. They don't really discuss all that, uh, and they call it all proprietary. So it's impossible mm-hmm. to reproduce their calculations. Um, and the whole hearing process is going to be in essentially uh, the public is essentially has to say just trust the regulators. But uh, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them with one finger. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, uh, I would uh, people could go to um, www.nirs.org and uh, you can uh, search in the, the search bar for uh, Oscar Shirani, and we have from 2004 um, a discussion, uh, a summary of his concerns with the whole tech containers on our website. Thanks, Diane. Thanks, Marjan and Diane. Thank you. Are there, let's see, the next questioner, is, it, is uh, Barbara next? No, I don't know who it no, is. No, hello. This is uh, this is Kevin Camps with Beyond Nuclear. Okay. And um, I just wanted to say real quickly that um, there is concern about those barge shipments and underwater submersions because 26 reactors thereabouts lack direct rail access. So the first leg of that journey to New Mexico could involve barge shipments on surface water. So 
that's another accident scenario in addition to the crashes and the fires that, that Marvin mentioned that is of great concern in places like Lake Michigan, for example. But sure. my question is um, just my question was going to be about reprocessing because Holtec during its press conference on Capitol Hill about a year ago and Eddie Lee Energy Alliance both bragged up their desire to reprocess this material. So I was hoping somebody could address the risks of things like weapons proliferation, environmental contamination, and uh, the astronomical cost. Well, I'm, I'm sure Diane DeRigo and I could talk about that for the next hour or two um, because we both uh, worked on a reprocessing facility in uh, upstate New York, West Valley, New York, and we saw the kind of uh, radiation releases coming out of those facilities. Essentially, they become the smokestack of the nuclear industry, uh, the reprocessing facilities. Uh, we've seen uh, the, the kind of worker exposures uh, workers get uh, at these facilities. Uh, it's sort of a joke that, that they're even considering this because it's definitely not economically viable. Uh, that is to say, it's much cheaper to have a throwaway nuclear industry than to have uh, attempts at recycling. So the I'm, projected I'm, I'm cost, surprised. Yeah, the projected cost to clean up the West Valley, it's the only place in the country that reprocessed irradiated fuel from nuclear power, and at that time there wasn't that much nuclear power, 1966 to 72, so uh, 60% of it came from weapons reactors, uh, but commercial nuclear power fuel is even more radioactive than weapons fuel, and they were reprocessed for six years only at West Valley, and the estimate back in 1996 is that it was going to cost $9.6 billion to clean up the whole site about $5 billion for the reprocessing portion. And uh, Marvin and I have been tracking this issue since the 70s, and still to this day uh, there's no uh, ho real hope for full cleanup from the little bit of reprocessing that was done at West Valley. And, uh, yeah. yeah and, what's, and just to add to that, the facility cost $30 million to build, brought in $21 million, and, and that was funded by... New York State bonds, and brought in $21 million in revenue, and they're talking about $9 billion to actually clean it up. What it does is it takes the irradiated fuel and it chops it up and dissolves it in chemicals and extracts uranium and plutonium, so it actually makes the waste even worse. It's right now at least in a solid form and reprocessing makes it into a liquid and it creates all kinds of waste streams along the way and then they have to try to convert that liquid into a solid and they've got sludge. So reprocessing is a non-starter. Anybody who proposes reprocessing should clean up West Valley first. And uh, yeah. I just want to underline uh, a point that Kevin made, though, about barge transportation. I, I, I didn't mean, I dismissed it as far as New Mexico was concerned, but it's, there are other places where barges would, could be used. And one is uh, for the Indian Point reactor, uh, for the Connecticut Yankee reactors, it's possible to actually ship the material uh, down the Hudson River and down the 
Connecticut River, uh, and then transported onto rail. And my understanding is that if this container fell, it's only uh, required, it's only designed to withstand a very short amount of time submerged at a very shallow amount. And in discussion with emergency responders, uh, they don't have the capability to find and, and bring it up. It would take days to do that. Um, I, I wanted to see, let's see, we've got another question here. Um, is this Barb? Barb? Oh, is that me? Uh, it's you. Yeah, hi. Uh, thank you, everybody, uh, for what you've uh, given us so far. I, I wish I could uh, have all the notes accurately from this. Um, I wanted to bring up the issue of high burn-up fuel. I've been looking at high burn-up fuel, and I'm really very concerned about it. Um, the Nuclear Waste Technical Review Board in 2010 uh, had, had some extraordinary recommendations for the kind of research that needs to be done on high burn-up fuel, and had a lot of, they had a lot of cautions about being able to transport it at all um, and then they were suggesting that uh, because of the danger of handling this material and any vibrations uh, affecting the fuel, that you might have to have hot cells at the receiving facility um, to be able to, you know, if you needed to open them up because you had the potential for damaged fuel. Um, so that would, that would be, and I'm not even clear on what the requirements for a hot cell would be although that's what they mentioned. So I'm just wondering your thoughts about that. And we have to have short answers. We're, we're coming on. We're supposed to close right at 9, and I'm going to let us go over about five minutes. Uh, but we have three more callers. So let's have uh, short questions and succinct answers if possible. And I know I violated it before, so apologies. Well, I'd be... I didn't notice in the application that they actually were thinking of actually opening up a container. Uh, you know, if the the standard procedure is if a container is damaged, they would put it into, they would leave it in a shipping container if a canister were damaged inside. You know, if the radiation uh, levels were so high, they would actually leave it within the shipping cast themselves. Uh, so I'm a little surprised that they would actually think of actually removing the inner canister. Uh, and I just don't understand the whole process. I know when the kind of uh, requirements, if you have a reprocessing facility, uh, would be extraordinary. You know, the cost would be extraordinary uh, to build a whole facility that actually un you know, took apart uh, these canisters. Well, they were suggesting if it was damaged, that you'd have to have some sort of hot cell to be able to manage this. Yeah, a hot cell, yes. But that would be a tremendous cost, you know, to have a hot cell, which means you have to have all sorts of equipment. You know, it would be like the Savannah River plant, essentially. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you. And I, I misspoke. We actually have a half hour. So um, the next caller, 
Hi there, Mich- uh, it's Michelle Lee from MIPSEC, uh, Indian Points of Energy Coalition. Um, as we approach the comments period, it struck me that there's um, several things that have been brought up tonight that would be particularly helpful uh, just to have out there to activists and advocates and uh, environmental justice groups. Um, one, which ho- hopefully... Um, you know, it, it, we'd have to rely, uh, Dr. Reznikov, on, you, on your uh, expertise. It might be a list of all the relevant data that is missing from the reports, um, from the from the analyses. Um, because high, you know, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of what sort of would would grab the body politic, and and what fits into to the overall zeitgeist of our moment, and and people. Secrets are, are, are something that really is on people's radar now, things being kept secret, uh, information that's not transparent, that kind of thing. Um, another issue which, which was brought up by one of the um, other callers, apologies, I can't remember who, was the issue of uh, standing still at, at, during weather events or being stuck uh, on, in traffic and, and that kind of thing. And uh, particularly with the, the work that Mary Olson of, of NEARS has done about the extra vulnerability of women and girls um, to, to radiation, how, how the fact that the radiation acceptance standards uh, are designed for, for men. Um, and another issue would be the, uh, you know, the environmental justice area and, and the extra exposures uh, people of color because uh, I'm sure some of the the you know more risky locations for rail lines and so forth are in poor communities. That just stands to reason. Um, so just some thoughts for for what you, you guys might end up putting up out on on your web pages when the comments period becomes due. Uh, I'll go back on you. Did anyone want to make a comment on that? Well, I I think it's a good idea. Uh, I'm definitely am going to um, list all the data that is missing that that is needed in order to do an independent review of the safety analysis reports. Um, let let me uh, just mention one point about it, though. Uh, the NRC staff is also having a problem. Uh, investigating these uh, containers and the heat they produce. They're requiring each licensee for these new containers to actually measure the airflow that goes into these uh, storage casts and to determine whether the heat can be taken out of the cask sufficiently. They're requiring an actual test they don't trust the calculations themselves. So it's not just me that's having a problem. It's the NRC staff as well. This is Rose, and I just wanted to add, too, um, on the, uh, the lady just commented, the environmental justice issue, and also Leona mentioned it. Um, We in this area of Lee County and Eddy County, New Mexico, are almost 50% uh, Hispanic. 
and or other minorities. I happen to be a Hispanic woman, and uh, definitely I see this region being targeted for these sites because, number one, we're not really fluent in nuclear science. <laughs> I mean, our first encounter was Urenco. And uh, when I went to um, speak against and show opposition with Urenco, um, on the on the you know private side, yeah, I heard comments that were like, you know, they're picking on us because we're brown skinned, we're Mexican Americans, and you know they're they're deciding this because they know that people won't speak up. And that is definitely a problem here. We have a very uh, low turnout at these NRC hearings. It's not well represented at all. And, of course, all the businesses that are going to make money and all the businesses that are promoting these sites, they all show up. All their employees show up and say how wonderful it is. And it's been very difficult to stand and, and try to speak up for uh, your area, you know, defense of, of human life in this area with uh, no backing, no support from your own race. So that is something that we ha- are trying to overcome. And as these companies like uh, Waste Control Specialists and Holtec start driving these projects down our throats, I'm hoping that we'll have a bigger voice. But at the same time, yes, that's a very big issue. And I have uh, found it very difficult to have people turn out. So if you know of any organizations that can help promote the the voice of the Hispanics and other minorities in this area, I certainly would appreciate it. Uh, this is Leona, and just just to add to that, uh, New Mexico is almost last um, for every measurement of quality of life in the country. Um, we have uh, we have one of the worst rates for I think we have the worst rate for most of these things, such as education, poverty, um, health care, access to health care, um, and so I think. Uh, with the economy being so bad and the lack of education, folks are just not um, coming out like Rose said. And, and I think one of the major issues of environmental injustice is putting already burdened people um, at more risk. And for us, we're a rural state, so I know with the uranium mining, some of the permits are approved simply because they consider rural areas to be um, basically national sacrifice areas because it's less populated. So I know one of the uranium um, permits that was approved was solely based on the lack of people in the vicinity, but that doesn't mean that our lives are worth less or our environment is worth less. And so as an indigenous person, some of the impacts out here that are never considered by NRC and any agency is the impacts to our, our sacred places. And so these trains, when they, if they ever start coming to New Mexico with this waste, they will pass by several sacred sites. Um, they will pass through many indigenous nations, not just in New Mexico, but all over the country. 
And I know earlier uh, a caller asked about if there's um, any of our elected officials opposing um, the development of nuclear power. I know in Flagstaff we did a lot of outreach because of the transport of uranium, and I let them know this is also an issue because the rail, the rail lines run right through Flagstaff, and, and they, were, they were very alarmed. And so it's not just us in New Mexico, but other small towns and cities along the railroads are all very concerned. And out in the West, like I mentioned, there's many, many tribes who also deserve to, to be notified, but they're not. I know there's probably a, a special way for tribes to get engaged in the process, but because being already burdened by all these other social issues and, and political issues, most, most of the times our tribes don't even get involved, just like Rose was saying, that there's a lack of uh, public public involvement and, and intervention. Um, so I just wanted to add that um, the environmental justice issue isn't just about the people, but we're also talking about the, the land, the plants, and the animals. Okay. Um, so then uh, we can move to our next caller is in the 949 area code. Hi, it's Donna Gilmore. I want to add a couple of comments. The, the whole tech transport cast weighs up to 225 U.S. tons, so record weight. Most transport casts can be loaded underwater. This one cannot. They don't have the uh, cranes to, to load them, so I don't know what they do if this did go in the water. And regarding the questionable uh, cooling temperatures, the NRC is actually allowing them to go up to uh, 30 kilowatts per canister without even checking or having to report uh, whether it's sufficiently cooling. It's only if it's over 30 kilowatts, the rating of the canister, which is about double the heat load the NRC used to allow. They're now allowing 30 kilowatts. Um, they don't even have to, as long as they keep it just under 30, they don't even have to report whether the cooling is adequate or not for these canisters. And these are aging canisters you're going to be receiving, and we have no idea, not that you're going to receive, but that you're not going to receive. Okay, I'm going to be very positive here. Um, and, you know, they're, they're not, the canisters aren't safe for transport. The transport casts are not approved for unloading. Um, and they're not designed to store waste. It's supposed to be, you know, drop them off and go pick up another. And they're not even rated for storage. Just wanted to share that piece of information. Actually, if um, Marvin could perhaps address the distinction or lack of distinction between storage and transport containers. <clears throat> You know, I have a cold. That's why my voice is so raspy. Um, the storage containers, well, first of all, the nuclear fuel is placed in these canisters, which are a half inch thick, the steel on the outside. Um, and the latest version would hold 37 pressure water reactor fuel assemblies and then this that's uh, welded shut and that's placed inside a transfer cask it's carried out to the storage location 
And the storage container, the storage cask is cement. And the actual canister itself is placed inside it. Uh, so it's one, you have a, a um, crane which can insert the canister within the storage cask, which is cement. That's not then what which is that's not then what is carried on the rail lines. Uh to carry it on the rail lines then you go through the reverse process. And this is all paper right now. Uh, because none of it is actually moved to this next step, which is you pull out this canister into a transfer cask you turn it horizontally and you slide the canister into a transportation cask which is constructed differently it's constructed and it's hard to know how it's actually constructed i keep mentioning that they don't tell you what materials actually we know it from some of the older casts that holtec has but they don't really describe the the kind of materials that they use for the tra for the transportation cask itself any rate the canister is then slid out of the transfer cask into a transportation cask and the transportation cask one can assume is made of steel as steel shells uh has um a neutron absorbing material and could or could not have lead it's not clear uh so there are there are these two different types of there are actually three casts one is the the storage cask which is made of cement and sits there with a canister of fuel inside it the second one is the transfer cask that moves it from either the fuel pool into the storage cask or from the storage cask into the transportation cask which is the third cask uh i i should also mention that the the requirements the heat requirements are different for the storage container than for the transportation cask um because the, in the transportation cask you don't have this chimney effect of uh cool air coming in and hot air going out the top to cool the canister here you're laying the fuel horizontally and it has to the cooling has to take place by conduction uh through the metal uh and and then it's not clear whether there's lead or not um and then there's a plastic material which contains neutron absorbing material on the outside so it's not a, and actually determining what the temperatures are going to be and how long it could sit in this transportation cask it's impossible to know that by looking at the safety analysis reports thank you um we have another caller 575 area code Hi uh Diane and thanks for doing this also thanks to Rose and Leona and Marvin for these great responses 
I want to just add a bit to what Leona mentioned about uh, a piece of legislation that uh, would have included nuclear energy generation into the renewable energy uh, uh, portfolio. And that was run by a gal named Catherine Brown, a representative right down there in Carlsbad. Uh, and she, among others, John Keaton included, are not just advocates of nuclear. These guys are evangelists. They had the bug. They're bitten hard, and they so, so believe in nuclear as a reasonable uh, resource and a containable uh, problem. So um, also, and what I wanted to add was that in 2016, there were memorials in both the New Mexico House and Senate sent to FERC asking for their support of this Lee Eddy Alliance and of the Holtec project. So that what Leona reported on earlier of the 27 legislators, including senators, you know, typically the more thoughtful group, or at least ideally, um, uh, calling for, let's put on the brakes until we take a close look at the issues around this, uh, that has kind of thrown a wrench into this process because the perception in Washington was that there was almost universal approval and endorsement in New Mexico of this site. And so I think that the, my point is this letter thing is a pivot point. It might be a linchpin in this campaign to uh, do our best to expose the opposition to this uh, proposal, uh, both in Hobbs or wherever the hearing is down there, and also up north if they have one in Albuquerque or Santa Fe. These are our opportunities to leverage the fact that our legislature is no longer uh, speaking with one voice in terms of support of this project. And, and so it's less of a question, more of an addition, but again, thanks very much. All right, thank you. Um, this is Leona. Okay. Yeah, uh, so thank you that I didn't, I did not mention that. There were definitely uh, memorials passed in 2016 on each side supporting the project. And I, I think um, our previous caller, Karen, can also speak to this. We were up at the legislature this year, and the people who signed on those memorials uh, the committees that passed them, it didn't, it didn't, um, it didn't have all the information. So, yes, it appears that the New Mexico State supports this. Um, however, what happened this year is the woman who actually sponsored one of the memorials, um, the representative Stephanie Garcia Richard, she she's in representing Los Alamos, and I think all of you know about Los Alamos National Lab. Um, so her interests are um, about protection and, and things also protecting not just the economy and, and the facilities, but she's, she's um, going through a transition in her role as an elected official this year. We're thinking she's, she might hold a different office next year. But she 
sponsored the memorial in 2016, and she actually, when, lear- when, she, when we approached her and she learned more about um, the site and the specifics and some of these details, she actually sponsored the letter from the House side. So the, the House letter um, against or asking NRC to, to look at this more thoroughly was sponsored by Stephanie Richard Garcia and signed by 21, 21 representatives in total. So with the nine senators, um, that's 30 legislators out of New Mexico, which is about a quarter, um, more than a quarter of, of our elected officials. So it is true, but I think um, the folks we really have to worry about are the legislators in the part of the country, in the part of the state in the southeast who want to build this nuclear complex um, for economic uh, gain. But really, the people, um, you know, if, if, if we speak up, I think that's one of the things Rose was talking about is once we get more folks involved and educated, they will be contacting their elected officials. And it's, it's definitely going to be a game changer moving forward how the state responds to these things, I'm hoping at least. Okay, we have two more questions, and then um, we'll, I'll have each of the speakers give a final concluding remark. Um, this person is 416 area code. Hi, it's Janet McNeil from Toronto. I'm with the Durham Nuclear Awareness Group. And um, I want to say quickly that I'm totally blown away by your speakers and the knowledge you have, because I can get a sense of how much work's been done to get you to this point. Everybody's incredibly articulate and smart and helpful. Um, I just I wanted to note that uh, when Marvin spoke about West Valley and he talked about 30 million to build, 21 million in revenue. I hope I've got the numbers right. Nine billion to clean it up. What came to my mind right away was that's a postcard or a business card. I work on nuke issues and also another issue where. Um, Things that can be put on a postcard or a business card are really helpful, and I think uh, what Marvin said about those things, that's, that's a postcard or a business card, so if you're looking for something clever and quick to put on one of those, I would just make that comment. That's it. Thank you. Well, you might say something about pickering. Well, what can I say? <laughs> well, Working they're storing their nuclear fuel out on a, a yep. section of the... Uh, you know, sort of a, a, a spit that goes out into the Lake Ontario. Yep. I know. Pickering it's terrible nuclear power. How many reactors at the nuclear power reactors are at the Pickering site? There are eight. Two are shut down. And um, there's a hearing, a licensing hearing at the end of June, and they're asking for another 10 years. And We'll be opposing that, of course, but we, our situation here is no different than yours. The uh, Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission doesn't listen to us any more than the NRC listens to you guys. So, yeah, too much waste sitting right by the water and so on and so on. What can I say? Okay, we have one more question, and then we'll uh, go to concluding remarks from each of the speakers. Hey, from from Michigan. And I just wanted to say that um, at Palisades that they had, Consumers Energy told a federal judge that they could unpack a cask if they needed to, and then they had a cask that um, had a problem, and they, they couldn't do it. And I think that the problem was that the casks were um, piled too close together um, to reach it, 
And I, I'm wondering about that. How they're gonna, how, how will they have to get all the cement overpacks out of there before they even are able to to get into the next ones? Anyway, just a question. Um. This is Diane. I um, I'll first see if any of the speakers have a comment, and if not, then I can respond with what I learned at the press conference that Holtec gave when they submitted their application. Should I go ahead with that? Uh, at the Holtec site, proposed site in New Mexico, they're uh, saying that they're going to put the irradiated fuel containers into the ground uh, too deep, uh, two, two layers deep, um, one first and then a second one down on top of it. They claimed at their press conference that it would take about four hours to lower or retrieve uh, the fuel. I uh, don't have any uh, good technical information on how accurate that is, but that is what they were claiming. If it's uh, what you were asking, okay. Okay, she's, uh, I guess, not still on the line. Um, I want to thank all of our the participants. Uh, looks like we've got about 70 people who have been on the line with us, and we appreciate your spending an hour and a half with us tonight. Um, nuclear Information Resource Service is a nonprofit organization, as are uh, the organizations that most of the speakers um, are also affiliated with. And so we appreciate any support that folks can give um, with act actions to help us uh, stop bad nuclear waste practices and donations to uh, enable the fights to go on. This web, uh, this uh, Telebriefing will be on our website, www.nirs.org, uh, should be by tomorrow. Uh, you go to the website and then scroll down on the left to, uh, on the left it says multimedia, and then you click on audio, and all of our previous telebriefings are recorded there. Uh, so again, uh, thank you to uh, Dr. Reznikoff, to Leona Morgan, to Rose Gardner for uh, your time tonight and your expertise. And if you wanted to give a, a concluding uh, thought, uh, please do. Maybe we should start with Rose. Okay, yeah, great. Um, I just wanted to add, uh, listening to, to all the information that we've shared, it's pretty obvious there's a lot of secrecy going on. Uh, they need to make this information available. There's secrecy in their application. There's a lot of funny business going on with the actual company, the Eddie Lee company. If anyone can uh, spare some time to do some digging or Freedom of Information Act requests, they are missing a lot of minutes uh, from their meetings, we've, we've got uh, one young man who is working to get information uh, from them. Uh, they're resisting or they don't have it. If we could find a way 
to dissolve the Eddie Lee Alliance or to dissolve or find some kind of fault in the contract that they have uh, drawn up that includes the cities of Hobbs and Carlsbad, New Mexico, the counties of Eddie and Lee, and the board members involved with uh, this foundation, their company. I think something uh, is amiss. I believe that if we can bring them down in their business transactions, perhaps we can prevent all this from happening. So any help in that area is appreciated, and I thank you all for listening. Okay, Marvin? Um, well, I want to transportation I consider is an Achilles heel for the industry. Uh, these shipping containers are going to go through 330 congressional districts, uh, and it would be helpful to have uh, nationwide concern about what is happening here in New Mexico, because it's not just New Mexico. It's, sp- it's spread throughout the country, uh, the, con- the, the concern. Uh, these containers hold a lot of radioactive material, a lot, and only a small amount has to get out, a small fraction, to have a very serious accident. And local communities are not prepared for a serious accident. Thanks. And Leona Morgan? Uh, thank you. Uh, I've, so basically, I just had a announcement that we're going to do a call tomorrow about the NRC licensing process to explain step-by-step. Step. And if anyone wants to join our call, it's, it's, it's open. You can contact us at protectnewmexico at gmail.com. And I wanted to say thank you to NIRS for hosting this. And that's it. Our website is nuclearnewmexico.com. And you can email us at protectnewmexico at gmail.com. Thank you. Thanks to all who joined. Thanks to our speakers. And onward for a nuclear-free future.